morning. Happy Sabbath. Nice to see each one of you here today. And uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have some tranquility and blessings that some other people have had severely disrupted recently. I must say I'm glad I don't live in Houston or Florida right now. But the moment's going to come where we're going to say, I wish I wasn't in this world at all. It's not going to get any better. Aren't you glad we know what's coming, what's been, and why it's why we're here? And the Lord's given us all the information we need to deal with it. It's a blessing. We have a lot to be thankful for, you know. May the Lord uh, help us all to be ready so that we don't come unglued, so that we stay intact, you know, when the pressure comes. Because it's going to come. Yeah, it's going to come. I'd like to say a brief prayer, and then I'm going to uh, share with you a little bit today, and uh, hopefully... With the blessing of the Lord, it will be a blessing to you. And I would ask for anyone who's willing to send up a silent prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing upon this service because human beings without God's help are nothing. Nothing. We have nothing to give. So please pray for me that you may be blessed. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a moment here while I have a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the worship hour. We thank you for the blessing that has brought us here into this place on thy holy day to gather with thy people to open thy word. We pray, Lord Jesus, today that thou wilt accept the sincerity of our repentance, our acknowledgement of our sinfulness before thee, and our hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And today we claim thy promise that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. We pray that thou wilt fill us, Father, and we pray that the Spirit of God will fill us and that we will be enabled to proclaim the message uh, of Jesus' soon coming and of his power as Savior in these last days, that precious other souls may be reached for your kingdom. We ask in thy name and for thy sake. Amen. I'd like to just mention to you, uh, before we open the Bible, that um, I really want to encourage you to get your hands on the book, Great Controversy, and read it and distribute it. Um, I have in my hands here, I must say this is my favorite copy yet of the Great Controversy in a softback edition. It's uh, put out by Remnant Publications. It's celebrating the 500-year anniversary of the Great Protestant Reformation that was begun under Martin Luther in the year 1517, this coming October, the last day of October, will be the 500-year anniversary of the, of the beginning of the Re- Great Reformation under Luther. So it's quite a year. And uh, I must say, this edition has actually helped me sell the book. I think so, because I'm selling more of them now than I was before. So people are interested in this, and this book has the answers. It's a classic on the subject of the Reformation. It proves to you that history repeats itself, and it explains to us the last day events. It is a book that is so rich in, in information that it, we need to be reading it, and we need to get it out to the people. You know, just very recently, I was talking to a man uh, at his house, and um, he said, come on in. So we went in and visited for a little while, and I told him about the book, and we got to talking, and he started asking me questions, and um, then he... and. Then he said, he said, I think I already got that book. 
I don't know that you've been reading it, but he also had Mervyn Maxwell's books, God Cares, on Daniel Revelation. He had been reading those. And one of the statements that he made to me was he said, I want truth at any cost. Isn't that wonderful? That's just wonderful. And, uh, you know, I've seen other people. The, I, the Lord is definitely opening up minds out there. Um, I decided to take a vacation this summer, so I took five weeks off work. And I worked. <laughs> I went with a friend of mine out to Washington State. We refinished a bunch of gym floors, and uh, I just wanted to, I've been knocking doors for 33 years. I just I needed a change. So anyway, uh, but while I was out there, I got out about 40 great controversies, had some very interesting contacts while I was out there. There was a nice young lady on the uh, plane. Uh, I said hi to her. It was late at night when we started our flight, and that was about it until about 30 minutes before landing. And I asked her, I said, "You come, are you coming home or are you, are you leaving home? She said, I'm coming home. We talked for a little while, and I said, do you like to read Christian books? She said, yeah. And I said, well, I've got a really good book, and I briefly explained it to her. And I hadn't given it to her because it was up above me. But she said in our conversation, she said, I'm really looking forward to reading that book that you're going to give me. So... You know, the Lord is working upon the minds of people, and now's the time to get this book out as never before. So I really want to encourage you. This is an absolutely wonderful edition of it. I would urge you as a church to buy a pallet of these and get them out. Pump them out. Get them out to people. I give them at gas stations. You know, I stopped at a gas station uh, sometime back, and there was a young man pumping gas there. And uh, he paid his gas before I paid mine, and we were inside, and then we went out, and we were pumping gas. And while he was pumping his gas, I grabbed the book, Great Controversy. I gave it to him, and I said, young man, I said, here's a gift for you. He looked at it a little bit. He said, what's this book about? I said, this book is about famous Christians of the past, what they went through for God. It shows you what's going to happen to our freedoms in America, and it proves to you that this world is in a great controversy between God and the devil, and it shows you how you can be on the right side. He said, thank you so much. He said, I've been going through a tremendous amount of trouble in my life recently. He said, I take this as a sign, meaning a sign from God. I could tell you more. Young lady came out, I don't know, young, 25, I don't know, came out of the door. I saw tears in this woman's eyes, and I visited with her for a while, and uh, she got a great controversy for me, and I had prayer with her, and she was going through some kind of struggle. But um, I hopefully gave her some encouragement and advice that will be a help to her. You know, the Lord has a work for every single person in this church to do. Every single person in this church. There is a work for you to do to get this message out to the world. May God help you to do it. Brothers and sisters, there is a moment coming in the near future when we are going to wish that our zeal in getting this message out had been much greater than it is now because the way is going to become more challenging. We are in a great controversy between God and the devil. And the Bible plainly tells us that as we get down to the end of time, this great controversy is going to increase in intensity. In fact, if you read in the book Great Controversy in the introduction to the book, It says, in the last final conflict, Satan will manifest the same policy and work for the same end as he has in all preceding ages. That which has been will be, except, you know what else it says? That the coming struggle will be marked with a terrible intensity such as the world has never witnessed. 
So as the evil side of the great controversy steps up its generators and its power, the good side of the great controversy is also going to come back and match it and overcome it. And this is a power that we need, the power of the Spirit of God in these last days. Lukewarm Christianity will not stand in the last days. It will not stand. It's got to be overcome, and we must love the Lord Jesus who has given everything. He mortgaged the universe to buy us, you know. You'll never wrap your mind around that statement. You know, I was talking to one man. He was today, or not today, this week on Thursday. He was a little hesitant. He said, I got a lot of books and uh, so I tried to interest them in the book. And then if I got some interest, but not as much as I want for them to get the book, I said, well, you need to at least read chapter 7, 8 on the life of Martin Luther, chapter 5. I told them a little bit what it was about. And then uh, we got to talking about a variety of things, even the book of Galatians somehow. And uh, and then I mentioned to him, I said, you know what? I said, the God of the universe paid an infinite price for you and your family. I said, you will never wrap your minds around that great truth. If the, brothers and sisters, if there's anything to live for, it's eternal life. If there's anyone to love, it's Jesus Christ who has, is, has died for us on the cross and purchased our salvation. Yeah. So I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the book of Galatians today. Hmm. Um, I think considered a very important book. So there's a few ideas we'll try and cover and I hope that you'll be inspired to study that book more. Um, the I've been reading the book several times a week and trying to understand it. I'm trying to comprehend it and study it. And maybe when the quarter's over, I'm going to keep at it another month or so until uh, I'm kind of satisfied, and then I'll go on to something else. Um, but if you have your Bible, um, you can turn to the book, and we will be looking at some of the scriptures there. The Bible that I'm reading from is the regular King James Version. I believe that that's the very best version that there is, the regular King James Version. Uh, and uh, that would be a whole series of sermons, or at least a sermon in of itself. But linguistically, it has the top of the rank, and I believe for its theological credibility, it also has the top of the rank. It is superior as a book and the book of God. Um, anyway, the book of Galatians... And we will look at uh, some of the ideas that Paul has there in that book. Book of Galatians. And, um, well, you've been over it a lot. In fact, your mind is on it quite a bit. And I must say I enjoyed uh, quite a few of the comments that were made today in Sabbath school class. And um, let's take a look, look at it a little bit here a little bit more. I'm in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And I'm looking here at verse 6, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. In fact, I would like to look back at verse 4. It says, Paul says, talking about Christ, he says, who gave himself for our sins, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. According to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Then verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Now here's what's happening. Paul is writing to a church that he had established, or rather a group of churches that he had established. And brothers and sisters, believe you me, if anybody could preach the gospel and do it with clarity, it was that Benjamite whose father was compared to a ravening wolf. I mean, the blood uh, genetics in him was zeal, and he was, as he said in Galatians chapter 1, he said, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals. In other words, above many of those of my own age. This man, once the Spirit of God got a hold of him, which he did in due time, this man could really preach it. So he had preached with great clarity and certainly with power the gospel. And then he writes to these Galatians. He says, you know what? He says, I'm really surprised at you. I marvel. He's like, I'm really surprised. You've so soon been so soon removed from the grace of Christ into another gospel, which he said is not another. Now, did he just disagree with himself? No, he's simply saying apparently something contradictory, but he's explaining himself. When I was out in Washington State this summer, there was a, well, I did the laundry for my friend and I once a week. And I was in the laundry early one morning, and a lady walked in there, and I said, can I have a piece of your dirty laundry? I said, I just spilled some soap here on the wash machine, and I need to wipe it up. So she said, sure. So I gave her back her dirty laundry with some soap on it. Then we got to talking to her, and I gave her the book Great Controversy. And she was very receptive. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, I got a question for you. Now, I said, this is a true or false answer. And I said, I want you to answer this question, or this statement, rather. This statement, I want you to answer it true or false. According to the, and here's the statement. According to the Bible, there is more than one Jesus. Is that true or false? She said, well, that's false. I said, let me give you a little correction. According to the Bible, there's one true Jesus and many false Christs. You know. Here Paul is talking about another gospel, which he said is not another. Brothers and sisters, we've got to keep in mind, especially in these last days, as Satan comes down with deceptive power, we have got to continually be feeding the mind with truth and practicing the truth that we can stay sharp as to what is truth and what is error. A little later on in the conversation, I told her she was loading her laundry in the dryer, and I said, you know what? I said, for every truth that God has, the devil has a falsehood. And her, her mind, her, that really got her thinking. And, you know, the issue is we're not simply here in a, in a debate over a subject merely per se. Paul is saying, look, he is, and in, in it's very plain in the book of Galatians. In fact, in verse, verses uh, 7 and 8 here, he says, if anybody comes along and preaches the wrong gospel, he says, let them be accursed. That, in other words, let them be, hmm. And that, that, that's not merely vitriolic language. That's just a fact. If you have the wrong information, you will end up in the lake of fire. You will not end up on the sea of glass. Okay. And he repeatedly goes out in the book of Galatians. If you observe in the book of Galatians, when he lists the, the works of the flesh, he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he goes on down through the list. And one of the things they list in the works of the flesh is heresies. You know, someone may have an academic status, but that is not a guarantee that they are preaching truth. 
You see what I'm saying? You see what God is saying? So one of the works of, of the flesh, are man, uh, or he says, are heresies, which is wrong teaching. And after he gets done listing the works of the flesh, he says, of the which I've told you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not, what? Inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he's warning these false teachers, look, unless you change your ways, you're falsifying the gospel, you're falsifying the word of God, and you are on the road to perdition. Mm-hmm. Watch who you follow. Watch who you follow. Let me read you something here. I've got a statement here in the book, uh, Desire of Ages. It is um, page 619. It's called Woes on the Pharisees. Page 619, Desire of Ages. Christ's indignation was directed against the hypocrisy, the gross sins by which men were destroying their own souls, deceiving the people, and dishonoring God. Now, here's the sense I really want you to listen to. In the specious, deceptive reasoning of the priests and rulers, in the specious, deceptive reasoning of the priests and rulers, he discerned the working of satanic agencies. You know what specious is? It's speculative. It's guessy. Deceptive is outright giving someone the wrong information. Okay? In the specious, deceptive reasoning of the priests and rulers, he discerned the working of what? Satanic agencies. Here, and here, so here you have Paul in the book of Galatians. The reason that, and the reason Paul is up in arms is because, look, he sees his flock that had been one to Christ in the gospel, they were on the road to heaven, and now he sees Satan's agents coming along and derailing them. Mm. Brothers and sisters, did you know that we are told in the spirit of prophecy, which I believe is an inspired uh, gift from the Lord to his people in volume 5. I just saw the statement this morning. She says the most dangerous snares of Satan, the most dangerous snares of Satan will come through church members. Obviously, false church members. Listen to this. Listen very carefully to this statement I'm going to read to you from Desire of Ages, page 258. History is repeating. This is called at Capernaum, page 258. History is repeating with the open Bible before them and professing to reverence its teachings, many of the religious leaders of our time are destroying faith in it as the word of God. They busy themselves with dissecting the word, cutting it up, and set their own opinions now, this is, she's talking about those in the, high in the academic world, in the religious world, high in the academic religious world. She says they set their own opinions above its plainest statements. They set their own opinions above its plainest statements. I got a question for you. 
If a preacher's in the pulpit, how are you going to know if he's preaching the truth or not? Huh? How are you going to know? Unless you've been studying the word of God, you won't know. If he has whatever, maybe he's got a nice smile or nice wife or maybe he's good at speaking or whatever, and you really like him because of that, mm-mm, you better not like him because of that. All right? Listen to this. I got a, This is a really good book. By the way, did you know the 1888 history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a lot of it pivoted on a discussion over the book of Galatians? You realize that this is a masterpiece of history on Adventist history and uh, what happened back then. Let me read you a quote this brother put in here. He's got a quote um, from the Gospel Workers 1893 edition. It says this, the Jews perished as a nation because they were drawn from, because they were drawn from, that is away, means away from, the Jews perished as a nation because they were drawn from the truth of the Bible by their rulers, priests, and elders. Are you listening? I think you are. But listen, the Jews perished as a nation because they were drawn from the truth of the Bible by their rulers, priests, and elders. You know what? I don't have claims on the academic world. I am uh, in the pew like you, uh, per se. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't have a master's degree. I don't even have a college degree. Let me just share something with you. I have noticed in reading some theologians, some are honest and some are not, and some do exactly what Ellen White says in Desire of Ages. They set their own opinions above its plainest statements. Now, in order for you to see what the Bible has to say, we must saturate our minds with the Bible, repeatedly read it over and over again so that it begins to sink in so that we see it. Okay? So we see what's there. They set their own opinions above its plainest statements. In their hands, God's word loses its regenerating power. This is why infidelity runs right and iniquity is rife. In other words, the Bible becomes merely a book of intellectualism, and they're even distorting what the Bible has to say, and because that loses its regenerating power. In other words, the gospel loses its saving power to transform people. Because it becomes an intellectual meandering that really distills down to one idea that you're saved in your sins, and that's a falsehood from Satan. Okay? When, then, then here's the next paragraph, 258. When Satan has undermined faith in the Bible, he directs men to other sources for light and power. When Satan has undermined faith in the Bible, he directs men to other sources for light and power. Thus he, Satan, insinuates himself... Now listen to this statement. Those who turn from the plain teaching of Scripture, those who turn from the plain teaching of Scripture and the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit are inviting the control of demons. You know, one of the ideas that Paul presents in the book of Galatians and, and, and is the idea of 
I'm going to try and get to a couple of these, but one of the ideas that he presents in the book of Galatians is the power of the promises of God. Okay? In Galatians chapter 3, I've counted eight times where the word promise was used. And in Galatians chapter 4, I've counted two times where the word promise is used. Now, he's talking about the promises of the word of God. All right? How are, how are you and I saved? It's by a promise from God. <clears throat> in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, in, in Titus 1, 2, Paul says, in hope of eternal life, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Let me just share something with you, brothers and sisters. When Jesus forgives you of your sins, and when Jesus comes into your life because you have allowed him to come into your life and you've sought for him, you are not going to be thrown about by the deceptive, dishonest, unbelieving philosophy of an unbelieving world or even an unbelieving church. You're going to see the word of God for what it is. You know, with Jesus in John chapter 17, when he was praying to his father in verse 8, he says he said to his father... He said, Father, he says, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. In other words, when you read the words that Christ has given us in the Gospels, you're reading not only his words, but these words were communicated to him from God the Father, and then he passed them on to us. John 17, 8, he says, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And they have received them and have known surely that thou, that I came out from thee. That I came from thee. In other words, when the Spirit of God is received through the Word of God, there is a certainty in this, and even a little young Christian is not going to be overthrown by the sophistry of Satan. Brothers and sisters, the issue, the pivoting issue in the great controversy is this Will I hold to the Word of God? Or will I give in to the doubts of men? Will I hold to the word of God? Or will I give in to the opinions of men? That's the issue in the great controversy. And that is going to be, in these last days, that is going to be crystallized in the final test over the Sabbath Sunday issue. The word of God says that Sunday is a false day of worship. The word of God says that Saturday, the seventh day, is the true day of Jehovah's rest day that he's given us in the Ten Commandments. And all the world, for their final test, are going to make their decision for or against Christ based on the acceptance of the seven-day Sabbath and the or the acceptance of the false day of worship Sunday. It's all going to pivot on that. So now we need an experience where we receive the word of God, believe the word of God, have an experience with Christ, and when that day comes, we're going to be like the person she describes in the book Great Controversy who was being martyred. It was a woman, I think. Um, I just happened to scan the quote this morning, but the person... This, I think it was a woman, but they're going to burn her at the stake. She says, my faith has a confidence in God that will resist all the powers of hell. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Hold on to the word of God. In fact, in that page that I just read to you uh, now from Desire of Ages, page 258, the top of that page is very good. You might want to read it again, but down... Lower in the page, Ellen White quotes two verses from the Gospel of John. One is John 8, 32. One is John 7, 17. In John 7, 17, Jesus says, Ye 
Um, if any man will to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If any man will to do his, his will, he shall know of the doctrine. And in John eight thirty two, he says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? She quotes those two verses. Now, and, and I'm going to kind of quote to you what she says. Not exactly, but this is basically it. Desire of Ages 258, she quotes John 717, John 832. If any man will to do his will, he shall know the doctrine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then she says this. She says, through faith in these promises, through faith in these promises, every man, that is every person, may be delivered from the snares of error and the control of sin. Two promises. How mighty is the word of God? It's very mighty. It has creative power in it. Hmm. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's so good. What's that? Yeah, it's a sword. Exactly. It's a power. It's a protector. It's so good. So, there's a couple other ideas here I want to talk to you about. One is in the book of Galatians, Paul's presentation of the cross. And then I would like to talk to you about Paul's presentation of the idea of Christ in you, uh, the hope of glory, except that's Colossians 1 language in Galatians chapter 4. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, he compared himself to a woman delivering a child, which is the ladies know it's evidently quite a painful experience but he says that's how i'm feeling about my galatian believers my ang- my anxiety and my longing for them is that they become transformed into the image of christ christ is in them okay but let's let's look a little bit at this idea about the cross in the introduction to the book of galatians paul says in fact we took a look at it here in verse four and i want to look at verse three he says grace be to you and peace from god the father and from our lord jesus christ who, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from what? From this present evil world. And I'm gonna, I want to take you to a few other verses in Galatians, but what, what you're gonna see here in the book of Galatians is Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is showing that the cross of Christ is not merely a historical fact. The cross of Christ is a present power now to redeem souls from sin and to deliver them from the practice of sin in this world. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, Let's look at a couple other statements here on the cross. Um, I'm going to skip Galatians 2.20 for the moment. Let's go to Galatians 3.1. Galatians 3.1. And Galatians 3.1. He says, O foolish Galatians, he says, Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? O foolish Galatians, who had bewitched you. In other words, you have come under counter-influences, evil influences, these Judaizing teachers that are coming in to try and dissuade you from Christ. They're under an evil influence, and they're bewitching you, is what he's saying. But he's saying, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you, that ye should not, what? 
Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, have you heard any echoes of that kind of teaching in our time? Huh? Listen to what, um, this is sketches from the life of Paul. I'm looking at page 188. It's talking about how these false teachers alienated the believers in Galatia from Paul. Okay. It says, having gained this point, they induced them to return to the observance of the ceremonial law as essential to salvation. Okay, so they alienated them from Paul, and then they said, now, because there were some, even though Galatia was a heathen area, there was Jewish converts in almost every church. So they really gained a foothold with them. And so once they alienated them from Paul, they said, hey, look, you've got to keep this ceremonial law or you're not going to be saved. By the way, brothers and sisters, the ceremonial law is good. The moral law is good, but neither law can save you. The ceremonial law was only a pencil sketch of the plan of salvation, and once Christ came and died on the cross, that pattern was no more needed. That's why it's obsolete. Okay? That's why it was to be discarded after the cross. But they alienated the people from Paul, and it says, having gained this point, they induced them to return to the observance of the ceremonial law as essential to salvation. Now listen to this. Faith in Christ and obedience to the law of Ten Commandments were regarded as of minor importance. Wow. Faith in Christ and obedience to the law were of minor importance. But I want to show you a pattern here that Paul has in the book of Galatians. I'm going to show it to you three places. And I know I'm, I apologize if I'm speaking kind of hurriedly, um, but... I don't want to go too fast because if I do, you that's not good either. But anyway, I want to show you three places in the book of Galatians and then one in the book of Revelation where there's this same pattern and you're going to find it, I, I believe, quite a few times in the New Testament. But watch, it's right here in Galatians 3, 1 and 2. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth crucified among you. All right? In other words, Jesus Christ was set forth before the Galatian believers as crucified. Obviously, they did not see Jesus crucified, but the preaching of Paul under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was so vivid, it was as if they were brought before the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I believe this is the kind of preaching that is going to again be uh, promulgated at the end of time, that Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for the sins of the world, are again going to be, uh, his sacrifice is going to be preached with sub, such vividness that it will be as if the people were actually there uh, seeing it. In one sense, okay? He says that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. In other words, he's saying, how in the world can you come to the conclusion that it's okay to continue in sin in the face of the fact that Jesus died for your sins to pay for them? This is an insult and a blasphemy and an absurdity. You know Why? Because Jesus not only cancels the sin, but he has power to obey by his cross. Now, here's what I want you to see, and it's easy to see, in Galatians 3, 1 and 2. In Galatians 3, 1, Jesus, or Paul presents Jesus crucified for us. That's Galatians verse one, 3, 1. And in Galatians 3, 2, he presents the fact that because of that, the Spirit of God has come to you. Okay? 
O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, did you do something like get circumcised or try and obey the commandments in order to receive the Spirit of God? Or did you simply depend upon Jesus Christ totally by faith and then receive the Spirit of God? But look. First the cross, then the Spirit of God is given. You see that? Now let's go, same chapter, look at verse 13. Galatians 3.13. In verse 13 you have the cross, and in verse 14 you have the Spirit. Watch. Galatians 3.14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Oh, I'm so sorry. I read verse 14. I apologize for my haste. 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Christ became a curse for us. I want you to think about something. Uh, Don't dwell on this thought of channel too much, but I just want you to think about something. Let's say you're, let's say probation is over, okay, and you're lost, all right, and you die, and you're raised in the, in the resurrection after the millennium, and you come up and you're outside the city instead of inside the city, okay, you're lost, it's over, all right. Now, you with the wicked come and surround the city trying to attack it, okay. And then Jesus presents the cross and the panorama, and he gives his final, even though the wicked are lost, he gives his final display of, you know, look, I'm just and you're wrong. And then you realize that you're lost, and all the guilt of all the sins you have ever committed is now coming on you, and you're burning in the lake of fire. The wrath of God is coming on sin, and you're totally lost. Can you imagine the pain, the horror, and the despair of being totally lost? Ooh, we can't imagine it. Brothers and sisters, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus tasted death for every man. The staggering weight of the sins of the world rested on Christ as he hung on the cross. In fact, it was only divinity that could carry that load. And we are told in the spirit of prophecy that on the cross, divinity sank and trembled. That's divinity. Christ became a curse for us. Happy moment for us right now. We can go to him in faith. He is a complete savior. We can go to him no matter how bad we've been. And if we come with sincerity, he will give us repentance. We can come like we are. He will give us repentance. He will forgive us of our sins. And he will take the load of guilt. We don't have to pay for it. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, he wants you to walk off without it now. Right? He died for me. In fact, Ellen White says in the book Great Controversy that when the wicked surround the city... And the redeemed, you know, this thing is really clicking now. They really see what they've been saved from. And they cast, at that moment, they cast their crowns at at Jesus' feet. And one of the things they all chorus out, they say, he died for me. He died for me. 
Paul says Christ became a curse for us. In verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now watch verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you see that? Here you have the cross, verse Galatians 3, 1. Verse 2, you have the Spirit. Here you have the cross in Galatians 3.13, and in Galatians 3.14, you have the Spirit. All right, now let's go to Galatians 6. Watch this. Galatians 6, 6.14. He says in Galatians 6.14, he says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. In other words, as far as the world's power and its temptations and all that is concerned, he said, I'm like a dead man. I'm crucified with Christ. Verse 15, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, which is a new man, a converted person. Okay? Now, I'm moving kind of quick because I know the clock is moving. And I want to go to Galatians 5, though, just very brief. I'm, I'm sorry. Revelation 5, just very briefly. And then get back and wrap it up in the book of Galatians. Revelation chapter 5, and please go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know there's various ideas and opinions on this, but my personal belief, and this is not any uh, doctrinal thing, I don't think, but my personal belief, well, it's obvious anybody with their mind on straight is going to agree that this is a picture of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. I mean, that, that's obvious, okay? My personal belief is this is a, a, is a picture of Jesus in the most holy place. This especially applies to his ministry right now, okay? And I can give you some reasons why, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But that's immaterial to the argument, or this, or the presentation here. The fact is, that you have a setting here in Revelation chapter 5 in which Christ has shown us, we're on earth, but he's in heaven, but the Spirit of God has shown us exactly what he's doing, and, and he's interceding for us. And in Revelation 5, 6, it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. That was verse 5. Now verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood what? A lamb, what? As it had been slain. Okay, having seven horns and seven eyes. Now, who is this lamb that has been slain? Obviously, it's symbolic language referring to the fact of Christ's death on the cross. It says he's got seven what? Horns, and he's got seven what? Eyes. In other words, seven means everything. This means that both as creator and as redeemer, Jesus has all power and all knowledge. He is a unique being, even in the Godhead. The Father and the Holy Spirit have not had his experience. He became a man. He's got all experience. He knows what it's like to be in walking human shoes and feel human pressures, okay? He knows it all. He's got all power and he knows it all. He is a complete savior, right? It says he has seven horns and seven eyes. He's all-powerful, not only as creator, he's all-powerful as redeemer. And, he's, and it says these seven horns and seven eyes are also applied, look at the last part of verse 6, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Again, you have the cross and the spirit, and they work out the redemption of man.
I want to take a moment here and read to you a statement in the book Desire of Ages. This is about the cross. This is in the chapter, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. It's speaking of Christ, and it says this. He knew that when he should exclaim, it is finished, all heaven would triumph. Do you realize we're on a, we're, we're on a quarantine planet? Mm-hmm. We're on quarantine here. You don't travel out of here. Oh, you might go on a rocket, but you're not going to get very far even then. You're quarantined. Okay. The Lord said, you know what? I'm going to let this nut show his case on that one planet. And after he's done proving that he's a total failure, the entire universe is going to love me and follow me. For you and me, we happen to be here on that battlefield. And the only way out of here is the cross of Christ. He knew that when he should exclaim, it is finished, all heaven would triumph. His ear caught the distant music and the shouts of victory in the heavenly courts. He knew that the knell of Satan's empire would then be sounded. Now listen to this. 679. And the name of Christ would be heralded from world to world throughout the universe. Brothers and sisters, there is a body of inhabitants in this universe that is way beyond the, the milky, the, the galaxies are, there's billions of them and there are billions of, it's multiplied, it's, the universe is absolutely huge and he, the hand that hung the stars in space is the hand that was nailed to the cross for you and I. Hmm. You know, if your neighbor bought a horse for $100,000, you would you'd kind of open your eyes on that one, wouldn't you? But one thing you know for sure, well, one thing, he's got some money. Another thing you know for sure, he wants that horse real bad because he paid $100,000 for it. How much did Jesus pay for you and I? An infinite price. We'll never wrap our minds around it. Now, listen to this, though. She says the name of Christ was heralded from world to world throughout the entire universe. Now, listen to this other statement. can't read my own writing. Oh, I got it here. 764. Let me read you this other statement. Let me tell you why. Listen to this. This is such an interesting page. I'm going to read the last paragraph. Well then might the angels rejoice as they looked upon the Savior's cross, for though they did not then understand all, they knew that the destruction of sin and Satan was forever made certain. They knew that. They didn't understand all the issues, but they knew this nut, he's, his, he's, he's going to be going, he's going down for the count now. That the redemption of man was assured. So the redemption of man was assured at the cross and that the universe was made eternally secure. Do you realize that Satan and sin is a threat or was a threat even to the rest of the universe? 
Sin, brothers and sisters, is a very powerful principle, and there is only one being in all the universe that can deliver you and I from that principle of sin, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through the cross of Christ. And if you want the power of the cross, you can go right to the promises of the word of God and you'll have it. I want to read you a statement here from the book Evangelism. And the reason I'm reading this statement is because, in my mind, it it expresses, and by the way, brothers and sisters, Christianity um, is a feast for the mind, not only the soul, but for the mind. And by the way, it's an intellectually wonderful journey, but you don't have to be brilliant to be saved. Uh, I want you to understand that there's some simplicity in Christ, okay? And the... The statement here that I'm reading from the book Evangelism, I think, describes that simplicity. And we really need to wrap around these things and get a hold of them. Okay? But listen to this. This is a a section in the book of Evangelism talking about establishing new converts. Many have stumbled to ruin because of the erroneous doctrines taught by some ministers concerning the change that takes place at conversion. So what she's saying is many have been lost because preachers didn't preach it right. Okay? This is like big stuff. Who can measure it, right? Some have lived in sadness for years. Some have lived in sadness for years waiting for some marked evidence that they were accepted by God. They have separated themselves in a large measure from the world and find pleasure in associating with the people of God. Yet they dare not profess Christ because they fear it would be presumption to say that they are the children of God. They are waiting for that peculiar change which they have been led to believe is connected with conversion. I'm going to read more. Listen. After a time, some of these do receive evidence of their acceptance with God and are then led to identify themselves with his people, and they date their conversion from this time. But I have been shown that they were adopted into the family of God before that time. Isn't that amazing? In other words, she's saying there are people who are in a saving relationship with Christ, and they don't even know it. God's accepted them. That's amazing. Of course, she deals with the other side of the corner on on the next page, but this is good. After a time, some of these do receive evidence of their acceptance with God and are then led to identify themselves with his people, and they date their conversion from this time. But I have been shown that they were adopted into the family of God before that time. God accepted them when they became weary of sin, and having lost their desire for worldly pleasures, resolved to seek God earnestly. I'm going to read just a little bit more. Please keep listening. But failing to understand the simplicity of the plan of salvation, they lost many privileges and blessings which they might have claimed had they only believed when they first turned to God. 
that he had accepted them. Isn't that good? Wow. You know what? If I can say this, I mean, I think I can say this safely. I'm just like you. I walk in human flesh, and I'm a weak human being, and I've made my mistakes, and I've even committed my sins. But let me tell you something. I've been drinking from the book of Galatians recently. I've been going after it, and I'm being blessed. You know, one of my favorite, and, and let me tell you this, I get thoughts that I would be ashamed if anybody knew those thoughts came into my head, but man, they're coming from somewhere. It's either my carnal nature or it's the devil, but it's coming from somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know what? One of my favorite verses in the book of Galatians is this. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And that text is giving me victory over sin. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, and it's by faith. Yeah. What, where's what faith is? Faith is being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is able also to perform. Okay? I think I'm really pushing the clock. I don't know if you want to go for five or ten more minutes or not. All right, all right. But this... What's that? Twelve, okay. All right, good, thank you. Now, here's what I want to observe from the book of Galatians. This is another idea. And by the way, when you're reading Paul's writings or even reading the scripture, one of the things you're going to notice is that the Bible writers will repeat themselves time after time in a different way on the same subject to bring clarification to that thought. And I must admit, I've been reading the book of Galatians three times a week for almost three months now, and I'm getting delight and new freshness every time I go through the book. I read it three times last week, and then last night I went through it uh, again. And uh, really get a blessing. But here's one thing I want to bring out to you here. If you would, go back to Galatians chapter 1. And the reason this book interests me so much is because it's such an excellent commentary on the first, uh, first and second and third angel's message. Especially the first and third angel's message. That's going to go to the world. In other words, if once we understand the book of Galatians better, we're going to be, have better, we're going to be better equipped to proclaim the message to the world at the end of time. But here's the thought in Galatians 1. Galatians 1.15, Paul says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Uh, just a passing observation here, that when you're in, in your mother's tummy, you are a human being already. Case in point. When Paul was in his mother's tummy, God said, You know what? That little guy out of the tribe of Benjamin... I'm going to use him in a mighty way for the gospel. So, and God has this has a, a blueprint for your life and my life, just like he had for Paul's. He has a work for you to do. Paul says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, that is, designated me for the work of the ministry, when he, when he separated, from me, my, from, separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, Now look at verse 16. To reveal his son, where? In me, that I might preach him. Brothers and sisters, this is Christianity. The reason Christianity has so diminished in its force in the world is because 
Christians today who are verbalizing or attempting to verbalize Christianity are not expressing in their own life and character the character of Christ, and the world looks on, and they're not too impressed. And I'm not saying we're out here to impress the world. Uh, Don't get me wrong on that either. Uh, Because when the world was done with Jesus, they put him on the cross. So don't figure they're going to really like you a whole lot. But you will win some. You will win some. He says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. There's a very interesting story in the book Acts of the Apostles where Ellen White tells about Paul near the very end of his life. He's on the way to Rome. He's chained with a group of prisoners, and he's about 40 miles from Rome, and he's walking through this little town called Apiforum. Luke mentions the story, but Ellen White elucidates on it a lot. And he's chained with a group of prisoners, and they're going through this little town of Apiforum, about 40 miles from Rome, and Paul's heart is really, he, he is at a down point in his life, and he's very challenged. And people are mocking him and making fun of him because there's this old man with these prisoners and they're really coming down on him. And then all at once, out of the crowd, there springs someone who recognizes the face of Paul as being their father in the gospel, who has won them to Christ. And they come over to Paul and they don't care he's a prisoner. He's in chains. They wrap their arms around him and they rejoice in meeting him again. And then more and more and more until there was a whole group of converts gathered around Paul. And even the Roman soldiers couldn't stop the meeting. And Ellen White says in the book Acts of the Apostles that when they looked into the face of Paul, they saw the image of Christ like perfectly reflected in his, in his face. When they looked into Paul's eyes, they saw Christ reflected. You know, I saw a lady this week, and boy, did she, that, I saw Christ in her. It was just, it was really, that lady, I could tell she was a Christian lady. I saw Christ in her. So when you go to Galatians 2.20, and there's lots of other texts, um, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Education, page 172, it's talking about the power of the word of God, and we must remember, brothers and sisters, that the word of God derives its power from the cross. Okay? She says, in its power... Uh, education 172 in its power men and women have broken the chains of sinful habit they have renounced selfishness the profane have become reverent the drunken sober the profligate pure souls that have borne the likeness of satan have been transformed into the image of god this change is itself the miracle of miracles a change wrought by the word It is one of the deepest mysteries of the word. We cannot understand it. We can only believe, as declared by the scriptures, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus wants to live in you. He wants to express himself through you. And that's why we need to keep feeding on the word. And when we're, look, brothers and sisters, Paul says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He was not only applying that to himself. He was saying this, before he said that, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation. Obviously, that saying was floating around in the Christian church. Paul picked up on, he said, this is a good saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You must remember that no matter how bad your case is, Infinite power can deliver you from sin and give you eternal life. Amen. Jesus is a complete savior. If you've got mental problems, I've had mental problems. I think I have. I mean, any sin is a mental problem, right? That's a mental problem. Right? Whatever your problem is, maybe you're emo- I don't know what your problem is. Maybe you're emotionally depressed or not, whatever. I don't know. 
But Jesus is a complete Savior, and he will make something out of your life, and he will turn you into a, a Christian for him. So let's live by faith, not by feeling. Mm, no. I'm so thankful for the Lord. He's good to me. I think I'm one of the hardest cases he's ever worked on. Now I've meandered a lot, but I will finish with this one quote. And as you well know, the preaching's not going to all get done here in this world. We're going to have to go to heaven to finish it. But but I do want to read you this one quote. This is good. This adds another dimension to the cross that I think is, it's very plain in Paul, but Ellen White says it in such a way, it's really good. If all that the Lord has spoken in reference to these things had been heeded, our institutions would today occupy a higher and holier position than they do. She's talking about, hey, the church is in a low level. It needs to be uplifted, okay? Testimonies, volume 5, page 554. Now listen to this, listen to this. But men, this means everyone, have been satisfied with small attainments. They have not sought with all their might, they have not sought with all their might to rise in mental, moral, and physical capabilities. They have not felt that God required this of them. They have not realized that Christ died that they might do this very work. Do you realize that by this statement here, and I believe the same thing as in Paul, she's saying physically, spiritually, and intellectually, the cross of Christ is inviting us and empowering us to continual improvement so that the Lord can develop excellence in the person and they can more and more reflect his image and express it to the world. And Christ has died on the cross to deliver you from the power of appetite from the sinful power of sensuality, whatever is out there that will drag you down. Christ has died on the cross to give us victory over self, and may we fall in love with Jesus. Yeah, the flesh clamors, but we must say no, because in every sin, brothers and sisters, there is deception, and in every sin, brothers and sisters, there is death. James says, when sin is finished, bring forth death, and Paul says, sin deceive me. Sin is a trap, it's a deception. Look at the cross of Christ. If, you, if you're trying to figure out if a sin's good or not, look at the cross of Christ and you'll draw away in horror and say, no, it's bad, I'm going to follow Jesus instead. Amen. Men have been satisfied with small attainments. They have not sought with all their might to rise in mental and moral and physical capabilities. They have not re- felt that God required this of them. They have not realized that Christ died, that they might do this very work. The one quote that I read to you was Evangelism, page 286, if anybody wants to write it down, where she says some people have been accepted by God and they didn't even know it. God bless you. If you need to make a decision today for Christ, please make it. Don't leave this place without him. And once you get him, don't let go of him for nothing. Have a good Sabbath.